Hey everybody, um, I know this is going to be a little different, a little weird, um, just just having what we normally call Devo worship, I guess, um, this format, but um, I'm Blair and this is how I'm going to be um, presenting our Devo for this week, um, and this is probably going to be how we do these podcasts um, for the rest of the semester. Um, I hope everybody's doing okay, I know this is a time of a lot of worry, um, maybe a lot of anger, frustration, especially for seniors. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. Um, but I hope that this podcast and, and what God has been trying to show me through this passage that we're going to talk about today um, will be encouraging and that it will help us do something now, give us something that we can do in the meantime while we're, while we're waiting uh, for this whole thing kind of to, to calm down. Um, so t- today I'm going to be talking about um, the Garden of Gethsemane, a story that we've probably heard a lot. Um, I think we hear about a lot outside of its context, and, and today I want to kind of put it into its proper context in the story of Mark, um, and that is in the context of the last couple of weeks of what we've been talking about, what James and Mac have been talking about. We're also going to be talking today about uh, Jesus' arrest um, after he prays in the garden. So first, I want to kind of cover what um, we've we've kind of gone over the last couple of weeks, and that is uh, the Last Supper and Jesus foretelling of a disciple who's going to betray him. And then all the disciples, you know, are wondering, is it going to be me, Jesus? Is it going to be me? And, and, and Jesus says, you know, it'll be worse for him to even have been born, um, this, this disciple who's going to betray him. And then after that, they, they go to the Mount of Olives, this is what James talked about the other week, and, and, and Peter, you know, is indignant that Jesus would even even think that he would fall away from him, um, because Jesus, Jesus again predicts that all the disciples will fall away. Um, you know, he says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Um, but Jesus, Peter emphatically says, I will not betray you even if all others fall away. And, and, and Jesus says, Peter, you are going to disown me three times. Because Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows himself. And so this is the stage that is set um, for this story that we're going to go over. And we, we also have to keep in the back of our minds that you know, Jesus knows what's going to happen. Now, he, he knows God's plan um, for salvation. He knows the suffering that is about to, to come onto him. And, and, and this is the mindset in which we start our story. And well, if you're going to follow along with me, it's Mark 14, 32 is where we're going to be starting. We're going to go through um, verse 52 today. I hope... Also, that I won't take up too much of your time. Um, I'm going to try and go through this this passage and, and detail it as quick as I can, and then kind of get to my application and finish. Um, so, we'll start by reading verse 32. Uh, they came to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, "Sit here while I pray." Um, so. Most uh, Greek scholars see Gethsemane, um, and, and again, we also have to understand we're on a the Mount of Olives, right? Um, and so they believe that this is kind of a reference to a place Jesus came to frequently. This is a place he frequented. And, and the word Gethsemane in, in Greek really refers to um, what, what we understand as an olive press or an olive garden. Um, again, in, in this time, the ancient world, um, especially in this region, um, 
there are a ton of people. Um, you know, olives olives were a really big thing, right? They they're kind of like the chief export of this region. They're the 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 chief um, production and, and, and thing for agriculture um, in this region. And so, um, it seems that Jesus has or knows the owner or has some sort of access to this land as he's come here before. Um, and he think that scholars seem to think this is a, this is a common rendezvous place for Jesus and his disciples. And so Jesus comes up here um, to pray. Because Jesus often comes up and, and prays, not in public, but in private. And this kind of shows us how Jesus thinks of prayer. And this is what I want us to kind of focus in on during our time, is, is what does Jesus think of prayer? How does Jesus view prayer? And how does that contrast with how the disciples view prayer? And then in the end... When Jesus comes to be arrested, how does this manifest itself? How does, how does the prayer that both parties engage in affect what actually happens? And so Jesus comes to the solitary place to pray. And in verse 33, he says he, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he, began to, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with Sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. So what would be the the significance of Jesus taking these three disciples with him? Peter, James, and John. You know, this is this is the point where I would probably ask the crowd a question, and Leo may say something kind of snarky or sarcastic first and then answer my question spot on. But um, these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, are the disciples who, who came to see Jesus in his transfiguration. Right, when Jesus... Jesus meets with um, some of the, the greats throughout Jewish history and, and God himself. Um, and so these are the very disciples who should know, who should, should be certain of who Jesus is, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that what he has said will happen, will happen. Because he is the Son of God. And these are also the disciples who have, in previous passages, told Jesus that they would share in his suffering with him. And so Jesus invites them along. And he tells them that his soul is overwhelmed, even to the point of death, that Jesus is so distressed. And the Greek kind of points, and it is distressing, it points towards a future event, that Jesus is he's, he's distressed over the coming of his death. Um, that's what some scholars think that he's trying to say, and he tells them to stay here and to keep watch. Um, and in verse verse 35, we kind of under, understand this as that his disciples were still within earshot. He says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it might be possible, the hour might pass from him. Um, and it, it kind of, sh- this here shows that Jesus wanted the disciples to be within earshot of him. They wanted to, to, to model um, what Jesus was doing, but also to, to keep watch, to be vigilant. Um, he, Jesus wanted the disciples to be near him at this point. And, and Jesus begins to pray um, that this cup might be passed from him. He says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I think this is the, the, the crux of this story here. 
Jesus, who is the son of the father, he uses this term Abba, which, you know, some scholars think means Jesus is saying daddy, father. Um, but it seems to suggest that this term would not have been common amongst the Jewish people praying during this day. This is something that scholars think is unique to Jesus. But it conveys this, this respectful intimacy of a son within a patriarchal family in Jewish society. It is something that many, many readers of Mark probably would have understand, understood that this, this was some deep connection with his father, that he was some uh, submissive son who was trying to, to follow the will of the father. And Jesus, Jesus says this, he begins his prayer by saying this, is he begins himself by putting himself in the position towards his father. And, and he asks for the cup to be taken from him. He asks that this, the suffering that, that was going to come of him, you know, it, it is kind of symbolic of this, this gesture of, you know, he's just come from Passover and he's taken this cup and this, that, it's that cup that represents the coming, um, this coming sacrifice and the coming burden on um, which he will take. And he, he asks, he implores God to take the cup from him. But he ends by saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus' purpose in this prayer is not to change the will of the Father, but to mold himself to follow the will of the Father. He's putting himself in that submissive role of a son. He wants God's will to be accomplished. And through this prayer, he, he's, he's molding himself, he's forming himself. He's molding himself to be like the Father, to have the will of the Father. And I think that it is the contrast here that we're going to see right here in this ne- the next couple of verses between Christ and how he views prayer and the disciples and how they are preparing for the coming events. That is what we need, we need to focus on in this passage, what Mark wants us to see. And so in verse 37, it says, Then he, Jesus, returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, Are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a lot of things going on in these two verses. Um, you know, Jesus comes to his disciples and he's like, what are you guys doing? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm praying. I'm so greatly distressed. I, I've taken you out. I've told you what's going to come. You've seen me. You three have seen me. With God, you know who I am. You are the ones who have who've said that you will share in my suffering. Peter, you have just told me that even if all others fall away, you will not. And what are you doing here? You're not doing what I'm doing. You are not praying. You're not imploring to have the will of the Father. You are here and you are sleeping. You are not preparing. You are giving in to, to your flesh. Right, and, and and I think a lot of times we may see here, um, we may come to this passage with kind of this assumed Cartesian dualism that we, you know, have this idea that, that the spirit is good and the flesh is bad, the flesh is evil. But that's not really what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that like it's it's almost this this higher order of things that the spirit, the pneuma, um, he's saying in Greek is it's it's willing. It's the higher order. It's the good of humanity. Right, but the flesh, you know that that which keeps us here on this earth, that which 
you know, comes from our desires in this world. It is, it is what is weak. It is, it is that which they're giving into. Right? And, and so again, here we, we see even further this kind of understanding of the nature of who Christ is. Not only is he the submissive servant, the submissive son of the Father, but he is someone who, who gives himself to the Spirit, even, even his human spirit. That the weakness of his human flesh does not consume him, but it is also by the power of his human spirit that he is willing, that he, he forms himself into the, and molds himself to the will of God. But here again, we, we see this, this contrast between Christ and the disciples. And Jesus comes and he calls his disciples to not fall into temptation, but to prepare. He calls them to pray so that they will not fall into temptation. And I don't know how you grew up kind of thinking about prayer or, or how you were taught to pray, but I know for me and in my household, that's something that I never really was taught or modeled how to do, right? Prayer was just kind of something that we said, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, pray for that, like, almost as if I would just think about that for you. But, but Jesus, Jesus wants us to see prayer as us going to God and spending time with Him, but not merely as something, as, as a reactive force, as something bad happens in our lives and we go to Jesus or we go to God and, and we pray, God, please change this for me. But it is something that is preemptive, right? Before we go into suffering, before we go into trial, we come to God and and we implore him to to give us his will because it is his will that is good. It is his will that is strong. It is his will that will push us through those trials and those temptations. It's his will that will allow us to be in the best form of our human spirit and will allow us to, to go through those trials and temptations, and this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to. His disciples who have, to have told him that they will be with him in his suffering. And so the same thing happens again three times. You know, a lot of things in the Bible happen in three times. And so it says in verse 39, Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And again, again, we see, you know, Jesus continues to go back and continues to try and mold his will to that of the fathers, but the disciples continue to fail him. And then finally, in verse, verse 41, verse 32, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I think this is a really, really powerful end of this this section of Mark. Um, you know, Jesus again comes, and, and they have failed him, but he says his hour has come. He says, look, the Son of Man is delivered to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Jesus does not run away from the trials that are about to come towards him. The prayer that he has been involved in and engaged in in the previous verses, the prayer that he's been involved in throughout the night has prepared him for this moment. For him to go, say to his disciples, let us go towards the trials and temptations. Let us go towards the fulfillment of God's will and God's plan for me. 
It does not. This passage in the Greek, it, it kind of implies that he is, he's just going to them, that he's sending his disciples with him as he walks towards this fulfillment. And so then, as Jesus arrives in verse 33, um, it says, Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. With him was a crowd armed with swords, clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. I think this is a really ironic um, twist in this story, right? That Judas, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, comes to, to him and in, in a um, customary way for a disciple to, to, to meet a rabbi, he says, Rabbi, teacher, and he kisses him. And it is this intimate relationship between Judas and Jesus through which Judas betrays his master. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him, verse 46, 47. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Before, in the last semester, I talked about when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, about how the people kind of saw him in a way as, as bringing in this new kingdom and that this might be a military rebellion. Again, we see this kind of theme here. Um, because in verse 48, after after one of his servants, and we know from other um, passages of other gospels that this, this disciple was most likely Peter, um, who, who struck off the, the ear of this, this high servant of the high priest. But we see how this theme of Jesus telling his disciples, telling the ones of the Jewish people who he's come to save that I have not come to set up an earthly kingdom. I have not come to overthrow the Roman Empire. But Jesus says in verse 48, am I leading a rebellion? said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. And in reading some scholars, they make a good point in how this doesn't change the actions of those from the temple courts, but it does change the actions of those following Christ. That he's telling them, I have not come to lead a rebellion. I mean, it's a rhetorical question at the beginning of verse 48. He's saying, I have not come to lead a rebellion. I've come to transform within. He said, every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. So Jesus has not come to overthrow these, the, the status quo in terms of the earthly status quo. He's come to overthrow the status quo in terms of everyone can be a part and admitted to the temple now. That God's light is no longer just through the Israelites, but it is a light to all nations. But here in, in verse 50, I think we see how how this passage is meant to be read together, that these two passages, the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus praying with his disciples in his arrest, are meant to go together. Verse 50, is, it's very short and very simple. It says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. All of his disciples, the ones with whom he had prayed, the ones with whom for years he had walked and ministered with to the people of Jerusalem, the one who he had taught, the ones who he had spent time you know, on, on a boat with, and then he calms the storms, the, one that, the ones that had seen him in community with, with, divine, with the divine, the ones who he had told 
who he was and what was going to happen, all of those deserted him. They abandoned him and they fled. And this is what Jesus was telling Peter in the previous verses when he said that you will, you will deny me, that you will abandon me. He told this to all the disciples. And this is what he's telling them in the garden. This is what he's trying to prepare them for. He's trying to tell them, you must pray. You must enter into a relationship with God in order to transform your will to prepare you for the coming trials. And the reason that these two passages are put together is because it is the, precisely this reason that Mark is trying to show us that it is precisely this reason that the disciples fail him. And so in the moment when Jesus walks towards his fate, the moment when Jesus, despite being afraid, despite being greatly distressed by the coming trials, prays to God and, and assumes God's will and, and walks towards his fate and his fulfillment of the prophecy, is the very moment all of his disciples who have failed to pray and prepare themselves for this moment desert and, and fail him and abandon him to his fate. And this is the last moment throughout the rest of the, the, the book of Mark, except Mark, except for when we see Peter um, in the temple courts and, and denying Jesus, that we'll even see discussion of the disciples until after Christ is risen. Because from this point on, Christ assumes the, the main and central point in this story, because it is his story. But it's also the story of his disciples, especially in this moment, when they have failed him, when they have failed to be with him and to pray with him. And what is so funny, I don't know if Mark did this as a joke or what, but it's a very anticlimactic end. You think that that would be the end, that verse 50 would be the end of this passage, but there's two more verses, and they, they paint a really weird picture, a really weird story. I don't know if, if Mark was trying to, to write Connor Kelly into um, his gospel or what, but in, in, in 51, verse 51 and 52, we see that this, this really weird guy who's with Jesus, who's following Jesus. It says, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. And scholars have, there's a lot of debate about exactly what this means or what Mark is trying to say. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can take it. But one of my favorite ways that, that, that scholars seem to have understood this passage is that Mark may be writing himself into this story. That Mark was putting himself in the position of what would I have done if I were there with Christ? That if I were there with Christ and they had arrested him, would I have stayed by his side? Would they have had to arrest me as well? Or would I have escaped naked, leaving my garment behind? Would I have run away even to be ashamed of my nakedness? And I think this is the story, this is the, this is the question that we have to ask ourselves after reading this passage. You know, right now we are in such an incredible opportunity um, 
because we have so much free time, so much time away from other people in which we can spend time alone with God, that we can spend time alone in prayer with God. And maybe this is what God wants for his people. Maybe he wants us to be sectioned off from one another so that we can pray and we, we can work on a relationship with him. And we can be proactive in this time. You know, I, I hope that we don't spend this time just sitting around doing nothing. I hope that we spend this time in prayer because it, it is that prayer in which we call ourselves to be molded by the will of God, in which we call ourselves to be aligned with that will of God that will prepare us for the coming trials because we don't know what's going to happen in the future right now, y'all. Like, who knows what's going to happen in the, in the coming months, in the coming year? There's so much uncertainty. But we have to put our trust and our faith that God has a plan for us and that, God, that God's plan is, is bigger than any of those other plans that we may have cooked up on our minds or that other people may have put, a, put in our minds. And we have to seek out that relationship with God. We have to spend time in prayer with Him. We, we have to spend time alone, just as Christ did, as Christ modeled in front of His disciples. We need to go to Him in prayer. And, and so this is, this is what I wanted us to see um, through this passage, is that our prayer is, is, is not to change the will of God, is not to, to request that, that God changes His mind on anything even though we can come to God in prayer in that way um, as, as a servant who, who, who wants the best. But what we need to be doing more than anything else is to pray for our will to be aligned with God's will, for our mind to be aligned with God's mind. Because if, if we do, then we will truly be people of God. And without that, we can't. And that is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples in this passage. He is trying to show his disciples and tell them, that you cannot withstand the coming temptation, you cannot withstand the coming trials, unless you are aligned with my will, unless you are aligned with my Father's will. You must come to the Father, saying, Abba, Father, being a submissive son to such a magnificent Lord. And so in, in this time, I hope, away from all of each other, away from you, you know, it's something that I think I really need to focus on. Um, and I know in the moments in my life when I felt the most deserted and alone by God, when I go to God in prayer, or the moments when I feel the most comforted. And I wish that I would always go to Him before those moments, and that I would have my will aligned with His, that I would feel His comfort before those coming trials even come. And that's what I want for all of us. So whether that be starting out every single day with a prayer, spend time alone with God. I mean, we have so much free time on our hands right now. We could spend, just try to start spend, spending 15 minutes to 30 minutes to an hour long in, in, in prayer with, with God. And pray not only for other people, not only for things in the world, but for God's will to be done, for His will to be done in your life in your friends' lives, in your family's lives, in the lives of those in, in the community of Auburn, in the, in the lives of those in the world in this nation. Because we are meant to be people of God's will. And so I hope I didn't bore you guys with any of that, um, but I hope you guys can see how important this is.
Because this is the last thing that Jesus did with his disciples before he goes to the cross. This is the last thing he teaches them. So I hope that you all can stay safe in the coming days. I hope that you all will come into a, a deeper relationship with God. Um, but but be safe. Um, thank you all for listening. I hope, I, again, I didn't bore you. Um, and I, I'll be praying for all of you all. Thank you.